how would you recommend someone go out and find kind of different deals or different partners or syndicators? One of the most important things is track record. Primarily for me, I want to know I, I, I can trust these guys. I want to know their track record. I want to know that they're fun to work with. This life is too short to deal with people who aren't fun to work with. This is a business. This is a wealth building strategy. But we can also have a lot of fun doing it, build strong relationships and, and enjoy what we're doing at the same time. And that's what I'm about. Like, it just makes life more fun when you deal with good people. Hey there, welcome to another episode. My name is Pascal Wagner, the host of the Grow Your Cashflow podcast. If you're new here, we help accredited investors grow and diversify their monthly cash flow through low-risk private placements. To be clear, we're not financial advisors providing you on advice on your specific situation, but our email list, our social content, and this podcast are all designed to help you learn how to find and vet passive income opportunities so that someday when you're looking to grow your cash flow that you'll consider working with us. And even if you never invest with us here, at the very least, we want to help you accelerate your ability to gain financial freedom. So with that, let's dive in. Today on the show, I have Dave Zook from Pennsylvania. Dave is the founder and CEO uh, at The Real Asset Investor, which is uh, a wealth management firm headquartered in Atkin, Pennsylvania, specializing in diverse income generating assets, including car washes, ATMs, self-storage, and natural gas investments. His strategy is to provide investors with income and tax investment opportunities that stand out in a world of financial noise. Since founding in March of 2015, the real asset investor has managed over 750 million across 25 different funds with a minimum check size of $50,000. They're known for their syndications and funds that go full cycle, providing their investors with reliable returns. He's been actively involved in the multifamily space uh, and resort community development with real estate holdings in multiple states and, and even overseas. He's uh, syndicated $25 million worth of real estate personally in his career. And notably, Dave and his development partners are pioneering early stage planning and development of the largest real estate development on the island of Ambergris, Kaya, Belize, uh, which was rated the number one island in the world by TripAdvisor. Dave is also a published author and has been a guest speaker at the International Business Conference and on the Real Estate Radio Guys show. He, along with his wife, Susan, and four children call Lancaster County, Pennsylvania home. With that, let's hop into the show. Hey Dave, welcome to the show. I'm uh, I'm incredibly excited to have you here, and um, you know whether Dave knows it or not, uh, he's actually been a big influence on helping me in my career path. And I originally invested with him uh, with the ATM investment. I, I invested one hundred and four thousand dollars with him in, in a syndication deal that he was doing, and, and that's been going along well. And uh, overall, you know, I I flew out to go spend time with him and, and a bunch of other investors where we toured uh, some self-storage properties and some car wash facilities together. And so uh, I've, I've met and uh, known David for uh, maybe a year or two now, and I've, I've met him a couple times and 
um, has absolutely been an inspiration to me. So I am excited to have him here on the show. So to get us into what we're going to talk about today, I think it's important to understand uh, the different types of roles and people that you interact with in the world of investing. When you get into this world, there's a whole new lingo to learn and concepts to understand. There's CPAs, financial advisors, fund managers, sponsors and syndicators, and the, and the list goes on. And if you're new, it's kind of overwhelming. So in this episode, I'd love to cover what is a syndicator and why do you need one as part of your investing roster? Uh, how do you use syndicators to achieve financial freedom at least two times as fast than you can on your own? And then kind of an inside look into how syndicators pick the funds that they present to investors. So Dave, uh, for our listeners out there who don't know about you, your business, your background, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Well, thanks for having me on your show, Pascal. This is going to be fun. I, I was looking forward to it. But uh, so I was born... And I was very fortunate to be born into an entrepreneurial, business-friendly family. And I, I, was, I was raised in the modular building space. And I sort of grew up in that business and, and really went through all different facets of the business. So I got into the office. And um, during the time, during my late teens, early 20s, I, I saw my dad, actually, from the time I was a kid, I saw my dad take the money that he was earning from his business. He did very well. He would take the money that he earned from his business and he would invest it in real estate and he would buy farms and land and single family homes. And I watched him self-manage some of those single family homes. I just quickly decided that wasn't going to be me. So I, I made the intentional decision that I wasn't going to be a real estate investor at all. And I went down the business path and I started a couple businesses, got the businesses up to the point where the they were running very well and it was making a lot of money. I uh, got myself to the, in a position where I was paying a half million dollars a year in tax. And I just, you know, got tired of that and, and started doing some research and going down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out, okay, how do I keep the money that I earn? And then I, when I, you know, the further I got down that rabbit hole, the further, the, the more I started to realize that people were using real estate to offset their tax liabilities uh, legally and keep themselves tax efficient. So I, that, that really intrigued me. And so I got into the multifamily apartment space and started learning key words like cost segregation study, the bonus depreciation, and really started wrapping my mind around it. Went from paying a half million dollars a year in tax one year to zero the next. And I've been living tax efficient every year since. And this is, you know, going back more than a decade. And so it changed my life. So that's how I became a real estate investor. It wasn't like I started out time I was a kid thinking I was going to be one. It was actually quite the opposite. But here we are today. You know, when I figured out that, you know, real estate can keep you tax efficient, I went from not wanting any to wanting, you know, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you define what you do today? Today, we run a uh, fund management company and we uh, have several core asset classes. And, and really, um, this is going to sound quite selfish, but it, it starts with me and my portfolio. Like the, the, the asset classes, we have four different ones, four core asset classes that we you know, really invest in. And 
those, you know, that's just simply a reflection of my portfolio. So I like to invest with teams and operations teams and people who um, have sort of their one thing. Um, you know, I, I consider myself a sort of a, um, a serial investor, a serial business owner, own several companies and invest in a lot of different stuff. Um, but my operations team, I want them to have their one thing. You know, when I, I'll give you an example. When I um, started investing in self-storage, I found one of the best operators. I could have found the best operator, one of the best operators in that asset class. And, you know, really started, sat down with the principals and really started asking a lot of questions. And one of the things I asked the principal was, you know, and he's, you know, in his late 60s, early 70s. And I asked him, I said, what else do you invest in? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, I, I've only ever invested in self-storage for the last, whatever, 50 years. And, you know, so, so that was the only business he's ever had. That's the only thing he's ever invested in was self-storage. He is all in. He's got one thing that he's really good at. And that's kind of thing that I like as a serial entrepreneur and a serial investor. I like to have those guys who really know they're the masters of that asset class. Right now, we've got four self-storage, car wash, ATMs, and natural gas. And, you know, I feel like we have that in each one of those asset classes. So it's really just a reflection of my own portfolio. When I find an operator that I can scale with, um, I'll give you another example, ATMs. I was an ATM investor for almost four years until I became a partner in the business and took it out to my investor, uh, to my investor base. And so oftentimes that's sort of what I do. I invest with my own money first and then I you know, find an operations team, really kind of nail it down and find an operations team that I believe in, then I take it out to my investor base. So we're, we're fund managers. I love that. What are the problems that your target avatar has, like your LPs, your investors, people who invest with you? What problems do they have before they come to you? Well, uh, oftentimes, I mean, so there's, there's no real, there's no real one answer. And, you know, that's, that's many times that's what we do when we sit down and talk to an investor. We try to find out, okay, what, what is your story? You know, because if you have an investor who has a serious tax problem, or let's say you had a, had a liquidity event or, you know, he's got a, a tax problem and he's not, you know, he's okay on the cash flow side. He just wants to build wealth, build wealth and he wants to stay tax efficient. And so when you have somebody like that, you may not take him down the self-storage route because we run a value-add shop on the self-storage side, which, you know, you, it's a pretty modest cash flow play. We're spending money. We're fixing these things up. We're adding square footage. We're, you know, we're really getting them to the point where we can, you know, package them and sell them to REIT. So not a ton of cash flow during the hold. It's not a ton of tax impact during the hold. And, but you're, you're really investing for some huge, equity appreciation potential and 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 we've had some of that you know we we ruled up a 26 property portfolio almost two years ago which was a, a very lucrative deal but we make you know we make most of our money on that deal we make most of our money on the back end that's totally different when you're looking at, a, at an atm investment you know let's say somebody had a liquidity event they made you know a couple hundred thousand dollars and are going to get taxed well what can you do about that 
Well, you can invest in an other asset class that gives you huge amounts of depreciation. You can take that depreciation and wipe out the tax liability on your liquidity event. Or, you know, so there, every investor has a different story. You just got to find out what that story is and figure out how you can add the max amount of value to that specific investor. Understood. So how do, how do these people that you work with solve these problems today without you? Like, what are the things that they've tried and just come up short, or maybe they just want to diversify into other things and they come to you? Well, the, the, the conventional route is, you know, obviously mutual funds and Wall Street and, you know, those kind of problems, those kind of assets. Well, those kind of, you know, paper assets, you can call them assets. Um, but, it, you know, oftentimes you've got somebody that, comes and they they've tried that for the last you know five eight ten years and they want to diversify outside of that um there's also oftentimes a, a lot of investors i work with are business owners their whole career or life has been around you know it, it's been around building their own business now they got to the point where they got cash uh, they've been running this business for 20 years. They're plateauing on their business. They really don't have the energy or the desire to take that thing to the next level. They're really in a comfortable position. The business could be churning cash, you know, really giving them a lot of, of cash flow and building a lot of wealth with them. Now they're looking, okay, how can I maximize that? How can I, how can I continue to build wealth, but do a little bit more on a passive side, make money while I sleep and not have to worry about it. And, you know, if you can wrap that tax impact around it and really get them to the point where you can say, okay, I don't want to make, I, I not only want to make cash flow on this asset, but I want to keep myself, get myself in a position where I'm more tax efficient. That's oftentimes the investor I'm working with. That totally makes sense. I, f- I feel like as though, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways that you can try this, especially if you're looking for passive income. I, th- I think, you know, I, I and my, f- I've learned from my dad, you know, dividend investing in the stock market and you could collect dividends. But, uh, you know, some of the lessons learned there is that if the stock goes down by, you know, 20% and it's only generating 8%, it's not like a huge, uh, huge return. Uh, you know, you're losing money in a lot of those instances. So uh, I feel like that that story resonates a lot. And I also think it's probably because when you, as you grow up, as you get put into society, and you might work at a job and they offer a 401k or an IRA, typically like the default place where you invest those things are the stock market. So that's, that's where you get used to those. And you don't know that all these other kind of investment opportunities that, that we're talking about here exist. Yeah. And I have a um, quote that I trademarked. It is, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, pick one. You could draw, you could swap out the word wealthy with whatever successful or, or, you know, a couple other words. But really, when you look at society and you, and you think about conventional wisdom, whether it's, you know, conventional wealth building or conventional health or conventional education or you personally, I don't want me or any of my kids to be on the conventional side. I just think, you know, you're either going to be conventional or you're going to be successful or wealthy, but you got to pick one. And so that's also how I look at, you know, 
the conventional wealth building standard that's in our country. You know, it's all about Wall Street. It's, you know, that we're trained to think that, you know, if we work really hard for 40 years in some cubicle, then at some point, you know, we might be able to afford to live the life that we that we really want when we're 65. I guess that could work for some people. It's just not for me. And, you know, that's sort of the, that's been sort of the conventional thought is work really hard, save your money, invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And at some point you can live the life that you want to live. And it just doesn't work for me. Now that we've kind of covered all of those pieces, I, I love that point. I, I'm on the same, same, same wavelength of like, look, if, if you want to, see high returns or, or just be successful, you have to do things that other people are not doing. Be, be contrarian. And, and stock market investing is the public market. That's where everyone goes. And, and so, uh, you know, not to say wealth can't be built there, but it's, uh, you know, everyone's playing in that sandbox. So I, I definitely agree with that one. Changing gears to the kind of next section here, you know, first we talked a, a little bit about, you know, what is a syndicator and, and and why does someone add them? Like what problems are they experiencing before they talk to someone like uh, yourself? Now let's talk about what are, how, how do you use syndicators to, to like jump ahead in your financial journey? So what are benefits of working with someone like you? So I will give you some benefits and, and, and you got to understand I'm on both sides of the table here. Like I, I invest as an LP in other people's deals as well, because, you know, I, I also like the idea that I can invest in somebody else's expertise where they're out there, you know, putting in the, the sweat equity and they're making this deal happen and they're, you know, laying awake at night having to worry about you know, labor and supply chain issues and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's an active business. So I'm very much intrigued with being an LP in somebody else's field because I know, I know when you're the syndicator, you're the GP, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, somebody's got to make the stuff happen. Somebody's going to be boots on the ground. Somebody's going to be, you know, uh, over and over this thing, making sure, you know, taking care of problems, fixing things and all that. So for that, the syndicator or the GP, um, you know, many times both, but the syndicator is is working, and oftentimes it's you know somewhat fee based. You know, it could be a, a profit split. You know, there's all kinds of you know there's all kinds of ways to structure a deal. Um, what I like to see when I'm investing in somebody else's deal, I like to see a deal that's not fee laden on the front end. I like to see a deal where the sponsor makes money after I make money. You know, after I get my principal back or the deferred return and there's a split on the back end, whatever. But I like, I, I'm very, I'm very into the details when it comes to, okay, I want to see how the deal is structured because if it's structured where it's all front end loaded, where the guy makes his money and then, you know, it, it's pretty easy to see um, what the manager has in mind when you can kind of look at how the deal is structured. And if he's got, if it's back end loaded and he makes money when you make money, that's how I like the deal. And, and that's really how we structure our deals for, for our investors. It's like, look, we either, we either all win or nobody wins. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a common theme that I've been hearing, uh, over and over and I've even had on this podcast is this concept of, of, 
fund managers doing deals so that they can collect the fees to keep the lights on. Uh, and I, you know, it's what, what's your take on that? Well, you know, and some industries are, are known for that. You know, when, you know, they go out and do a capital raise, you know, a couple million dollar capital raise and you really, uh, you know, one of the big questions for me is, okay, how you, how are you going to spend my money? If this is to keep the lights on and pay the manager's salaries and make sure the bonuses get paid out, whatever, and eh, not so much. But if we're going to go out and create something and we're going to go out and buy equipment and we're going to really make something happen, okay, that's a different story. So yeah, no, there, there, that is all things you should be looking at as an LP investor, as a limited partner coming into a syndicator deal. It's like, how is this deal structured? You know, is the manager making all this money on the front end or is he making the money behind you? After you make the money, then there's a split or you know, is there a preferred return? That's all kind of, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for when I, when I'm coming into somebody else's deals and LP. So one of the benefits, I guess, at least in the, your case or the things that you look for is that you're always looking for something that is, uh, you know, when the investor wins, that's when the the person putting together the deal wins. I also imagine other benefits include just getting access to deals that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Can you think of can you think of other benefits? Yeah, so we did a we put a fund together for a group who um, their minimum investment is a million dollars. Well, in the you know, in our network where we've got several thousand investors in our database, that cuts a lot of people out of play. You know, when you got to come up with a minimum of a million dollars. Um, so, you know, there's instances like that where, you know, where it's mainly geared around family offices and, you know, bigger institutional size investors where we can come in and say, okay, we will do that deal and we will bring you a million dollars, but we'll do it in a syndicated effort on our side. So those are some deals sometimes where you can't even get access to them unless you you know, want to play with a million dollars. Totally, yeah, we're doing uh, something similar for for the fu- first fund here at Grow Your Cashflow. It's, uh, and I, I definitely see it, you know, there's just having access to institutional style deals that might be safer or, uh, you know that there's just like a certain quality of operator behind it. You know, I'm finding that in this space, uh, there's a lot of indie uh, fundraisers, I guess, I guess you would call them. Like people that are doing, you know, their first or second deal. And and by all means, everyone has to do their first deal uh, at some point in order to to move forward. I just think as an investor, I want to be putting my money in into these types of opportunities where you know, things have been proven, there's more of a track record. And, and I honestly think that those are kind of deals that are better to get into if you're new to this landscape. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it does, when you've got an institutional operator on the other side, and now you're coming in, I mean, obviously, you, you still got to do your diligence. Just because the institutional operator doesn't mean the deal is good. Always. Totally. So, you know, but, but it does give you when you, when you come in with scale and you can team up with them, I mean, it's no different than, than our operations team on, let's say, the self storage side or, you know, we, we get a better deal because we come in with volume and we're able to buy bigger, more lucrative deals, you know, when we can, you know, especially with our business model where our whole business model is set up 
to where we add value to a, let's say we buy from a mom and pop operator, then we add square footage, climate controlled square footage, and then we roll up a bunch of these properties into a deal and, and get some crazy low cap rate from an institutional uh, buyer. You can't do that. You know, m- most individuals can't play at that, at, at that uh, kind of scale and that they, they can't play that game. But when you group it together, you can do it together. You know, you might be able to pull 50 or 100 investors together and, and make that deal happen. So those, that's the advantage to being able to come in with a syndicated effort and, and do those kind of deals. And, and look, this isn't the only way, you know, that's not the only way you, you can play. And obviously you can go out and do it yourself. Um, if that's what you choose to do. And, and, and again, it has to do, it has to do with how active you want to be in the space. Like, if you want to, if you want to go out and buy a self storage facility and run that business yourself, there may be more margin. There most likely will be more margin in there for you, but you know, there's also a lot more work, a lot more effort. And you know, for myself personally, I, I believe I could assemble a team and and done my own self storage facilities and and went out and and really made it happen. I chose to take a shortcut and really team up with an operations team that had been doing it for the last 50 years. Um, So more than one way to do it, this is the way I chose to do it, and it's worked out very well for us. So let's say someone's new new to this game. They've maybe done uh, an LP investment or two, and they're listening to this show, and they now know about the real asset investor. How would you recommend someone go out and find kind of different deals or different partners or syndicators to, to get on their lists, to, to start seeing their opportunities and, and what are you looking for? Well, so a couple of things. One of the most important things is track record. I want to know, number one, I want to know that they're reputable, trustworthy guys. I want to know what they've been up to in the last, 10 years for sure. Uh, longer is better. Uh, 20 years is better. Um, but, you know, this, our community is a pretty small community. And so when you ask around, if you're plugged into the investment community and you start asking around, it doesn't take long to figure out who the key players are in any given asset class, who the star players are. You know, and, 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 and oftentimes it's better to talk to the investor than it is, than it is to talk to the operator. I'm not as much interested in the slick salesperson who can tell them that, that can tell me all the good things about himself and his company and you know, what, what they do and what they can deliver and all that. I'm much more interested in talking to an investor that's been investing with them for the last five, 10, 20 years. So, you know, there's a lot of things, but. You know, primarily for me, I want to know I, I, I can trust these guys. I want to know their track record. I want to know that they're fun to work with. Um, you know, look, this this life is too short to uh, deal with um, people who aren't fun to work with. Um, you know, it, this 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 is this is a business. This is a wealth building strategy. But we can also have a lot of fun doing it, build strong relationships, and and enjoy what we're doing at the same time. And that's what I'm about. Like, I I have the luxury now to figure out to pick people who I like doing business with and do business with them. 
And, you know, it just makes life more fun when you deal with good people. Totally. Totally. You, uh, you don't get caught up in, in all the bullshit, to be honest, but, uh, cool. No, I dig that. So, so what kind of groups are you talking about? Right. So I'm, I'm picture, picture the first time investor here and they're new to the scene and, and they're trying to figure out like, where do I go? What websites do I visit? I'm, I'm thinking there's groups like the 506 investors group. I've heard of left field investors. I've heard of, you know, white code investor. If you're a, you know, physician or, or anything like that. And, and those are kind of small communities. We're now building a community here uh, at Grow Your Cash Flow to kind of help people start looking at deals and, and seeing everything. Are there other places that you recommend checking out? Well, the very first one should be um, therealassetinvestor.com. No. <laughs> I, I, no, listen, I, I, know, I know about most of those groups that you mentioned. And, you know, my thought is, well, so... Before you invest for your portfolio, you should invest in yourself. And investing in yourself can include going to some of those events live. It can include investing uh, time into, you know, hey, let, let's hear about what the investors are saying on 506 or on left field investor. And I, you know, I know some of those, some of the, some of the guys in those groups well. Um, so, you know, that, that is, Part of it. That's part of investing in yourselves, going on those websites, educating yourself, talking to people, getting, getting on the forums, hearing what other people are saying about, you know, different operators. All part of it. So no, I, I love it. You know, I, it can start with going to a local real estate meetup. You know, there's one within an hour of just about any. Maybe not, <laughs> you know, it, 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 not, it, not in Columbia, South Carolina, Dave. All right. Well, there, there, there are investor meetups all over the country. And, uh, you know, so that's a place to start, but also the forums that you mentioned. Great place to get information. Great place, you know, great way to invest in yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably just tag onto that. There are so much that you pick up just by, uh, being in some of these groups, text threads, you know, understanding what people, uh, look for what what they like about a deal, what people don't like about a deal. One of the things that I like to do when I'm you know looking for any of kind of investment or, or as I even just got started is is you don't know what to look for or what risks are present. And so hearing the reasons why a lot of other people are not investing and then taking that information and critically thinking, okay, do I agree with that statement or have I found data that refutes this angle or um, our, our approaches that uh, I've found have really worked for me in my journey and, and that I've been able to pick up being in these groups. No, I agree. I agree. Invest in yourself first before you invest in the asset class. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like anything in life, right? You got to kind of know how the game is played before playing the game if you really want to win. 100%. That's, uh, I'm going to quote that one. That's a trademark that I did myself right there. There we go. Um, sweet. So, uh, Dave, to kind of like uh, one of the last kind of sections I want to cover here with you is this uh, is an inside look into how syndicators pick the funds that they present uh, to their investors. So you've raised over, uh, if, if I'm accurate, over 25 different funds uh, or, or somewhere in that ballpark. What have you learned about your target customer and how to match offerings to them. Yeah. So uh, 
I, I don't know what that number is, but you're probably it's somewhere around 25. But many of those were sort of, uh, it wasn't 25 different asset classes. Back in the day, we used to do a self-storage facility in a, you know, as a fund. Today, we can, have, you know, typically we'll have 10 to 15 institutional grade self-storage facilities in a fund. You know, but back in the day when, you know, one property, one fund, you know, those start adding up pretty quickly. Today, we, we have four different asset classes, and I really have no desire to, to have eight. I want to go deeper and not wider. Uh, I want to pick out star players in the asset classes that I'm interested in, and I want to go deep with them and do a lot of business with them. Um, you know, and, and, and each one of those, for me personally, uh, in my portfolio, each, I, I have a specific reason I want that asset class in my portfolio. It could be for long-term equity growth. It could be for, you know, to help me stay tax efficient. When you have an asset class that gives you, you know, 80% bonus depreciation in year one, that's kind of a big deal when you're trying to stay tax efficient. Um, so, you know, each one of those asset classes does a different thing in my portfolio for a different reason. And so, once I take care of myself, you hear the thing about put your own oxygen mask on first and you can help other people. Um, but that's really kind of the, the way that I take uh, the approach on investing is, you know, make sure that that asset class works. Make sure that it does what you want it to do for you and then go help others. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. So, so essentially you're attracting investors who are interested in the same types of things you are is, is probably how we would frame it. Yeah, I mean, so there's, you know, uh, you know, like I shared early in in the conversation, you know, somebody may have a liquid. I get these conversations all get into these conversations all the time about, hey, I'm I, I'm selling my business and I'm going to have, you know, half a million dollars uh, in profits, or I'm selling my business, I'm going to have ten million dollars in profits. I mean, I've had many of those. And, and, and our investors range, I mean, we do have some family office folks. We have some institutional grade investors in our, you know, that invest with us. But many of them are just regular, uh, mom and pop, uh, you know, operators have run very successful businesses, contractors, you know, you name them, doctors, lawyers, CPAs. There is a dentist who has his own practice who makes, you know, a million dollars a year. And then there's a, an attorney who works for someone at a W-2 job and makes, you know, $750,000 a year, a million dollars, whatever. And, and so that's very different than when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I sold my business. It was, you know, I was active in this business, sold the business. I got a million dollar, $10 million profit. How are we going to shield this thing? Those are all different conversations to have. And, and we have those conversations, you know, on a regular basis, but you know, it's, it's about meeting the investor where they're at and fixing a problem for them. And it's really what syndicators uh, should look at themselves as, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's some syndicators, there's some folks out there that, you know, there's some deals that get structured that are fee heavy. That's often what you see in wall street. You know, if you tear apart those deals, it many, almost all those deals are Fee-based. It's not like if you win, then we win. It's like fee-based. It's like we collect our fees and you know whatever happens after that happens. 
Um, but no, this is this is about you know finding the deal, putting it you know, and solving problems for your investors. Invest or syndicators should be that's the number one question they should be asking themselves: How can I solve a problem for my investors? Dave, what are what are maybe three of your biggest lessons or learnings uh, working with investors that's made you a better steward of their capital? You know, you've been doing this for a while, uh, and so I imagine the mindset that you started with. Uh, you've you've learned along the way, and you're here now. So what what's maybe changed along the way that that's made you better? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. Um, I will tell you, I like I, I take investors' capital much more serious than I do my own. If I lose my own money, I can sleep at night, and I'll make it up on the next one. If I invest, if I lose an investor's money, uh, you know, I I that keeps me awake at night. Um, so you don't want to go there. And diligence is a big part of that. Being able to, you know, do diligence and, and make sure that, you know, look under the hood and, and, you know, if, if they're audited by third parties, that, you know, that's kind of the gold standard. If, you know, if you can get, you know, audited financials, great. Uh, that's not always possible, you know, in the, in the realm that most syndicators play in where you're dealing with an operator and they're not, you know, they're not all fully audited, audited. Um, you know, and, and, and there is a trade off. You know, if you want to invest, uh, like an institution and you want the fully audited financials and all that, and you want to settle for, you know, three to five percent, uh, ROI or seven percent ROI. Okay. Um, but many times when you're dealing with a smaller operator that's closer to the deal, and, you know, they're operating lean and mean many times, you know, you don't get fully audited by one of the top four firms in the country. And, you know, so that's kind of a trade off. You want the margin or you want to deal with, you know, you know, you know, want the kind of returns that institutions are used to getting. So it, it is a trade off, but I, I'd say diligence and get to know your operators and get to know their investors and talk to people who've done business with them for a long time. Those are all ways that you can reduce risk for your investors. Has that been your like pr primary focus? Like, you know, first you launched your first fund. What was your first fund uh, that you syndicated? Uh, the first, really, the first one that I did with scale was multifamily apartments. Uh, I got into the multifamily apartment space, built up a portfolio of three to 4,000 doors. Uh, I, I was totally out by 2022, sold everything. Um, and then, you know, transitioned into self-storage. Actually, I started transitioning into self-storage. Wow. I still had a bunch of, of, of multifamily, but really kind of transitioned from multifamily to self-storage. And, and from there, I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to dig into is, is, is it that this recurring theme of, hey, you know, I wanted to add self-storage to my portfolio and that's why I transitioned or... Were there things that you noticed in that asset class that maybe, you know, as you went and moved on to others like self-storage that, um, you know, were good for, for all those who invested with you? One of the things that attracted me to self-storage, I started getting really interested in self-storage in 2017. Um, I just felt like we were getting closer to the top of the market cycle uh, than we were to the bottom. and 
during the research that I did, I recognized that self-storage typically did very well in times of stress and distress and when things weren't going so well. And then when you look at, well, I mean, look, when, when you study the space and you look back at 2008 to 2010, self-storage was the best performing asset class in all of its commercial real estate peers. You know, it's, it was least affected on the downside and most affected on the upside, you know, going into and coming out of 2008 to 2010. When you look at what happened in 2020 to 2022, it was number two behind data centers. And so, you know, you just realize that self-storage is sort of a hedge in your portfolio. When things aren't going well, that's when you want to own self-storage. And so it, it was sort of market. I, I don't know if it was market. It wasn't really market timing, but I kind of, you know, I felt like, um, you know, we were closer to the top of the market. It felt a little frothy to me. Obviously, I left some meat on the bone. I started selling in you know, 2019. Uh, I should have held for another year or two before I really started selling a lot. But uh, look, we, you know, we made some money and it's all good. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. This was in- incredible to have you. Where can people go find you? So our website is therealassetinvestor.com. And if any one of your listeners reaches out to my team at info at therealassetinvestor.com, we will reach out to them. We will have a conversation. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much, Dave. You got it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on your show. All right. Now I have some final thoughts for our listeners. There are over 350 of you who are already on my email list. Uh, But if you are not already, if you'd like access to our database of private placement opportunities that we see every week and get a first look at the opportunities that we're putting together at Grow Your Cashflow, you can join our investment club at growyourcashflow.io. Now, if you found this helpful, don't forget to share it with uh, your friends who might benefit from this particular episode as well. And lastly, if you have any questions, suggestions, or just loved a particular episode, reach out to me on Twitter. Thanks for joining us and I will see you on the next show.